brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The 53-man roster is here. Finally. Plus, our... Raven, official, over, unders, and some other picks that we like. This week on Pod Like a Raven. So, we are working backwards here this week on Pod Like a Raven. Uh, a unique thing for us, maybe a first for us. We are recording the, the first half of this episode after we've already recorded the second half of this episode. And it's all thanks to John Harbaugh. Once again, uh, he finds a way to enter our lives in unusual ways. I am Antonio Barbera. And I'm going to introduce my co-host here in a second, but um, it's just John Harbaugh. He's forcing me to reintroduce Harbaugh quotes this season. He's just, he's, he's, he's making me do it. And I'm going to reintroduce it as a segment as we get week in, week out. Jace Evans, why are we doing the the first half of this episode second as opposed to first? Oh, it's it's a great question, Antonio. Yeah, I, I think it all comes back to Harbaugh. It could be the social team. I have my doubts. Uh, you know, mo- most other teams I saw just released a single link uh, to a web page that listed their roster. Not so our Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they waited until 7.48 p.m. yesterday to release their, uh, uh, or on, uh, what would that have been, Tuesday night, to release their transaction list. Uh, when the deadline was 4 p.m., so nearly four hours after they had to tell the NFL <laughs> and make all their moves, they felt felt fit to uh, inform their fans. It's Pretty wild, uh, you know, especially considering they did a practice yesterday. All the players they need to tell they're getting cut were probably in the building. Uh, it's very confusing. I don't know what happened. Uh, that's why I can only assume this is on John Harbaugh. But, you know, uh, you mentioned Harbaugh quotes, Antonio. Do not panic about any of this, people. There's nothing to panic about. Is Mark Andrews playing? Doesn't matter. Uh, there's just no, no reason to panic. Uh, will I tell you more information? No. Joining also Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, why? Why does he do this? Why does he think there's an actual competitive advantage to doing this four hours later than everybody else? Well, that, I was just going to say that. That's what it is. It's a competitive advantage, guys. The Texans have that many fewer hours to prep for the likes of 
Lamar Jackson, who we didn't know if they were going to make the team. The likes of J.K. Dobbins, who knew if he was going to make the team. The likes of Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen in the middle of that defense. Who knew? Who knew? Maybe maybe they were trying to exploit whoever was going to start at left guard. Oh, wait. We knew who was starting at left guard before the roster was even released in John Simpson. I, it's just Harbaugh being, I think I can say this, a dick. Um, and just kind of in the biggest, like, biggest sense of the word. Um, you know, just... Total football guy move, but you know when you say football guy, it's usually something we like to celebrate. Like, that guy's a total football guy. That's a funny thing he did. You know, it becomes kind of a memeable moment. This is the worst type of football guy move <laughs> that John Harbaugh pulled. And now we're sitting here talking about, you know, I wouldn't say minuscule, but moves that aren't necessarily, you know, huge in any way, shape, or form. Um, but we had to wait to talk about them because the Ravens decided to wait out everybody including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were dealing with a literal hurricane um while <laughs> while they were trying to get their roster out so I don't know it's frustrating but look I'm trying to be a little bit positive the, the, the it's here and we can talk about it now and I'm excited too let's see if the listener can uh, spot the moment in the episode where things switch back and forth in in time uh <laughs> That's going to be Tim's job to, to make that transition just sound so 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 beautiful. When it's going to be so clean, you'll yeah. never know. Uh, I also want to just thank uh, thank the co-hosts for handling the episode last week. I, I thought I was maybe going to get on, um, but Gallivanting West was in Seattle uh, with our our good friend Brian Freya uh, alongside Jared Alexander, and no time couldn't make it happen. So I <laughs> appreciate. Tim and Jace uh, putting out a fantastic, a fantastic episode. Missed the Jadavian Clowney signing. That's okay. That's okay. Um, Justin Houston is dead. Long live Jadavian Clowney. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, but let's move forward now. We're going to do a few minutes quickly on Ravens Bucks, which seems like it happened three weeks ago now, uh, <laughs> but was the last preseason game. We're going to talk roster moves, uh, do a little, little trivia, a little fun trivia game. And then go through the AFC North and and pick the Ravens over under, uh, and then kind of make our predictions for some other over unders that we like across the NFL, as well as how we see the AFC North going this season. But let's start with Ravens Bucks. Uh, Bucks win twenty six twenty, going from undefeated to a losing record in the preseason means we are absolutely winning the Super Bowl this season. I just, there's no other way around it. Uh, that's how these things work. Um, no major injuries from this game. That's great. Uh, John Harbaugh, not happy at all with the performance of his, I'm going to say, second and kind of third stringers on defense. They gave up two touchdowns on consecutive possessions where they all looked lost in terms of who to cover, where to be, how to tackle, uh, how to get set um, as as plays were starting, and he gave them an earful, and I think it ended up having direct consequences on some of the final roster moves, surprises, if really there were any um, with this final 53-man, but, uh, and then the last thing I, I thought, that Tylen Wallace had a nice game and a nice little preseason. He was one of the guys we talked about earlier this summer about, yes, he can play special teams, but is that going to be enough uh, to grab one of the last wide receiver spots? And he did it with showing his offensive skill set in these preseason games, in addition to the things that he can do in the preseason. Um, 
a, a nice little uh, three-game set uh, for Tylen Wallace. Uh, anything else that, that you guys saw from this game or liked or didn't like or, or, or don't really care about as we get into real meaningful <laughs> football games? Uh, no, I, I liked your point about I, it does seem like this game may have resulted in some of the, the roster decisions that we'll get into, especially in the secondary, because I... You know, I, I wasn't locked into this game. I was kind of just following in the box score and checking it out on Twitter and texting with you all. Uh, and at one point, the Bucks had, like, two incompletions. They were, like, like 15 for 17. It just seemed like they were did stopping nothing through the air uh, early against Baker Mayfield, who was a perfect 6 for 6, and then Kyle Trask, who finished 19 for 31. Um so, yeah, it seemed like the defense, not great. And we kind of talked about this after, I believe, the first preseason game. You know, there's pros and cons of that. The, the pros being like, ah, oh, it's fine, they're backups. The cons being, we sure need our backups a lot as a defense and as a Ravens team in general. Uh, so you hope, you know, uh, <laughs> you'd like a little better performance, even if you're not supposed to be relying on these sort of guys. So... Yeah, uh, you know, getting out of preseason, it was nice to that no one cared about the streak. There wasn't there wasn't a single talking point. It was just the third preseason game for the Ravens against the Buccaneers. I'm glad the streak's over. I know we talked about it two weeks ago. I just wish it ended against the Eagles, I think, in hindsight. It would have been so clean to just lose that game to the Eagles. They wouldn't have cared. The Bucks wouldn't have cared if we had brought this streak into the Bucks, and then the Bucks beat us because the Bucks are recent Super Bowl champions. But no, the streak had to end against a, a team that has experienced no winning in 30 years, and so it became a much bigger deal. But yeah, uh, nice to... I kind of agree with you. Uh, one and two. Uh, nondescript preseason. Let's go win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Ryan Mountcastle and Anthony Santander both doubled in runs as Kyle Bradish <laughs> went six innings and eight strikeouts. Yanir Cano picking up his fifth save uh, in, in you know stepping in for Felix Bautista on Felix Bautista bobblehead day as the Orioles beat the Colorado Rockies 5-4. <laughs> I was at Camden Yards. I didn't watch this game. Um, it doesn't matter. I was just basically told both my co-hosts, I'm going for Felix bobblehead day. My girlfriend's favorite player is Felix Bautista. We went and got some bobbleheads, had a good time at the yard, had some boogs, had some beers, what have you. And I said, text me if anybody gets injured. And I wasn't really getting a ton of text messages, which was good, even though I love hearing from both Jason and Antonio. So that, that is my analysis of Ravens Bucks. Uh, Tim, how devastated is your girlfriend? More than the three of us, how devastated yeah. is your girlfriend about Felix Bautista no longer I've, being I've so much available? Yeah. Yeah, I basically had to, you know, say, well, he, there's a chance he could come back. There's a chance he could come back and <laughs> just kind of leave it at that. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll see the mountain back for the postseason for the Orioles. All right, let's get to the meat of this episode, which is the roster. The final 53-man announced midnight, Tuesday night. No, as Jace <laughs> mentioned, late into the evening, early night. On Tuesday, but it finally exists now, and you can go to BaltimoreRavens.com and find a really um, obnoxious slideshow <laughs> where they have a 53 slide. It's like we're like we're living in 2011. It's a 53 slide slideshow yeah, with one player per slide of announcement. Grab your pen and paper so you can keep track yourself of the position groupings. <laughs> uh, a, a very frustrating format. Uh, or you can go other places, or you can be right here as we go through. We're going to run through the position groups. Um, say the names quickly, uh, 
and then just kind of go through how we feel the strength of this position group is, surprises, names we thought might have made it, um, or maybe guys lower on the list that we think by the end of the season may be higher uh, on the depth chart than they than they are now. So uh, I guess we'll start with quarterback. It's Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley, Fiend. Nobody else on that list right now. Um, we know the strength of this position group, guys, but surprised at Huntley hanging on to that second spot, even though he's been banged up uh, a lot of the preseason, and, and Josh Johnson having some positive moments, but still being Josh Johnson. I mean, so I think the big overarching topic that we should mention for all of this is this is not the final roster. Essentially, the injured guys, they can put, after they make the final 53, they can kind of put them on, on I, I don't know if it is P, I don't know what the exact list is, um, but basically designate them for injury and then bring guys back onto the roster. And by doing it after the 53 is selected, that means they don't have to miss the four games like a Tyus Bowser has to miss because um, he technically isn't on the final 53. I think the only thing that's interesting about the quarterbacks, I'm, I'm not surprised Huntley made it. I think the only question was new system. Is he well-suited for this new system? We've show, He's shown that he's a capable backup in this league who also has trade value. I think the more interesting part of this, if, if you haven't heard the news, the game day roster, which is not the 53, I believe it's 45, can be expanded by one to add a emergency quarterback, a third quarterback onto your roster um, for the game day roster itself. So the person has to be on the 53 already, and then they don't really count against the game day roster. Why they make this so complicated, I have no idea, <laughs> but they do. Um, and be this is because of the San Francisco 49ers having to basically resort to Brock Purdy, who couldn't throw the ball um, <laughs> after both him and Josh Johnson. Got injured in the same game against the Eagles, ruining what could have been an absolutely classic NFC Championship game. I bring that up because I think for a team that has been marred by injury with Lamar Jackson, um, and, and we'll talk about that later with over-under totals, I'm sure, is I think there's still room for a third quarterback to come onto this roster. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if we move, like, Pepe Williams is a guy that is looked at is probably going to be moved to, like, this injury designation. I apologize. Uh, apologies, I don't have the exact terminology. Opening up a roster spot, what have you. Do we see that third quarterback come in kind of the back door that way? I tend to lean no because I think this is more of a late season thing for these teams. And it will be interesting to see how many teams actually keep the three quarterbacks for the remain for the, you know, the entire season. I think once we get to playoff time and stuff, I think that's going to be way more of a thing that you'll see teams do but the, the biggest thing there is okay they're only keeping two so it's it's pull the Huntley lever if Lamar gets hurt which I thought was kind of interesting yeah the only thing that kind of interested me that he made it was uh, as we kind of talked about on the show some it sort of seemed like the Ravens kind of wanted Josh Johnson to, to win the second backup quarterback job or at least were open to the idea um and then, but, and especially in light of Huntley's like hamstring sort of injury here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I still think for what I, we, the, the brief time we saw Huntley in preseason, I think he was better than Johnson and, you know, Josh Johnson, great career for a journeyman backup, but he's 37 Huntley's what 20 something. So I don't hate that either. So yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, keep guy. Even though it's obviously a new system, but your overall program, keep a guy like Huntley who's been around, uh, guys know him and stuff, and 
I think it's fine. Um, hopefully, we don't need to use him. And Lamar plays all all seventeen games, or at least sixteen games, if he, you know, uh, if they clinch the division early. <laughs> all right, I'm going to run through the the backs and receivers uh, in one in one grouping now, and I'll let you guys analyze that at running back: J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Keaton Mitchell, and then fullback slash tight end slash offensive lineman slash defensive end. Patrick Ricard, uh, the wide receivers, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, Devin DuVernay, Nelson Aguilar, and Tylen Wallace, and then the tight ends, Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, and Charlie Kohler. A few interesting names here, a few guys that maybe were fringe players, Vokalek had played really well at the tight end spot as much as he could have, there were whispers of, of maybe keeping a fourth tight end. Um, whispers of Devin Duvernay potentially being traded or a, ca- a cap casualty because his cap number's pretty high for being a f- what a fifth wide receiver, fourth wide receiver. Um, obviously, his strengths in the return game, but how many kick returns will we even see this year based on the yet yeah. new tweaks? So his value, unfortunately, is dim- diminishing by the season uh, for reasons outside of outside of his control. Um, and then the undrafted guy, Keaton Mitchell, hanging on. But uh, what did you like, dislike uh, from from these position groups? And, and how do you think of the strength of these groups going forward? Uh, well, let's start with the obvious. You know, another undrafted guy makes the team, uh, which is kind of a Ravens thing. I think it was two of them this year. Keaton Mitchell just had some juice, man. Just had some absolute juice. Obviously, uh, making the team over uh, the veteran Melvin Gordon, the two-time pro bowler. But I think Gordon is just too similar to a J.K. Dobbins and a Gus Edwards. And I think they wanted something a little bit different. And Keaton Mitchell, you know, younger, presumably cheaper as well. And just, again, I keep going back to the same word. You saw it. He flashes. There's something. It's fun when the ball is in his hands, very much like a Zay Flowers as we transition to the receivers. Six guys. Interesting. Um, You know, the and something that, I don't know if pining for is the right word, but something that we've kind of been predicting here on Pod Like a Raven, as, as every Ravens fan has, is it was the uh, preseason from hell for James Prochet, and it was finally enough for for John Harbaugh and team to kind of say, look, I think a change of scenery will be best for you. And, and I hope it is for James Prochet. Clearly had some flashes, but just never could put it all together. And then again, a horrendous preseason for him was kind of the end. And, and Tylen Wallace emerging. Um, I think both Tylen Wallace and Justice Hill for the running back uh, position both make this team because they showed that they you know could contribute on the offensive side of the ball uh, in preseason. But the special teams aspect of it. They're both very, very good special teams players, which John Harbaugh, obviously the former special teams coordinator for the Eagles way back when, really, really values as kind of the third facet of the game. And I think it's it's really – I think the six-receiver thing is cool because, look, I don't think it's just going to be like an air raid offense that, that people are, are predicting for the Ravens, but it does kind of show an intent, doesn't it? Like have, keeping six of them there, not trading Duvarnay, thinking that there's – there's, I mean, he certainly flashed on the offensive side last year when there wasn't the likes of Odell Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers, and even Bateman there uh, when, when Bateman was hurt. But – it's cool to just keep these this many weapons, and it's exciting because it kind of is an indication of what the offense is going to be. And tight ends, you mentioned, 
I think there was Vokalek was just battling the fact that Charlie Kohler came on and was also relatively impressive. Um, second year guy that you know they drafted two tight ends in the same round with him and Isaiah Likely. They clearly liked him. We all like Likely, and then Andrews is Andrews. So you know, Vokalek looked like he looks like an NFL player, which is good for him. I think he showed that he deserves a roster spot somewhere else in the league, but in that tight end room, you're just you're not going to see it in Baltimore. And uh, one off picking up off of one thing you said, Tim, I, I do think the six wide receiver thing is kind of connected to what what we saw last year kind of as you said with everyone getting hurt and demarcus robinson is wide receiver one in a playoff game like it doesn't hurt to just have decent depth like say what you want about nelson Aguilar. he's an nfl player who has had a decent career has stuck around um and and can make plays um occasionally uh, <laughs> but as for uh this group uh the this sort of group of players uh the backs and receivers I, I i think for me the keaton mitchell is the one that jumps out obviously over melvin gordon and i was pleasantly surprised because i i think antonio i believe it was you and me we were talking when they signed gordon and we just didn't really get it you know the things that like melvin gordon's a good player two-time pro bowler but he was he was fired essentially from his last job cut by the Broncos because he can't stop fumbling which is not what you want from your your fourth running back third running back and um yeah you just can't have that and he doesn't bring enough different at this stage of his career uh you know didn't just the juice didn't flash he had a few nice runs but a lot of running backs do if it's blocked well in preseason. Uh, you know, he, he, I, I thought we saw the difference with Mitchell and his sort of limited uh, preseason time. So I was glad they kind of went with that because uh, we'll talk about it, I think, when we get to the defensive backs. But John Harbaugh is a man who likes veteran players, and I was afraid that they were going to just go for a veteran who knows blocking assignments versus maybe a guy who might be a more exciting and better running back. Uh, I know I had mentioned Tyson Williams a few weeks ago, but uh, yeah, it just seems like Harbaugh, if you can't, if you can't do the things that might not pop on paper, Harbaugh doesn't have much time for you, but clearly Mitchell impressed the gang enough um, to stick around. And so I was kind of pleased to see that. Yeah. And I'm going to go full conspiracy theory that I think they brought in Gordon just as a uh, smoke signal to J.K. Dobbins to say we are not afraid 100%. of filling a running back room with ex- like you know proven pros if you don't want to be here. And then once he showed up, then it was uh, all right. Thank you very much, Melvin. Uh, maybe 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 we'll find some space on the practice squad. Um, all right, let's look at the offensive line where things get a little bit interesting at this point. Uh, I'm going to go through the starters first from left to right. Ronnie Stanley, John Simpson, Tyler Linderbaum, Kevin Zeitler, Morgan Moses, and then as backups, Patrick McCarry, Sala, Ben Cleveland, and Daniel Falele. Some guys in that are maybe a little bit surprising, some starters that are maybe a little bit surprising, and then a, a name or two uh, not on this list that's also surprising. What do you guys make of the final offensive line group? You know, we'll we'll talk about it a bit later when we go to defense where, you know, the Ravens don't like giving up on their guys. And they've shown recently that that's not always the case um, with, with a rookie that they actually cut that we'll get to later. But 
man, they're not giving up on Ben Cleveland, huh? That <laughs> that was kind of the one that everybody thought that this kind of might have been it. He, at the start of camp, he's in for this left guard shot. You know, last year he was fighting Ben Powers for the left guard spot. Ben Powers wins that job and is so good that he gets a big payday in Denver. Now it's an even bigger opportunity with a John Simpson, who's kind of a, a nobody NFL vet, uh, a sixth-round rookie, and Ben Cleveland coming in, uh, got, knows knows the building, you know, he's been here a while, Is the coaches know who he is. And not even before the – I mean, before the first preseason game, he's already out of the starting left guard competition. You know, he is clearly fighting for his life as a backup here for this Ravens offensive line. And he still makes the team, which I think is interesting. I mean, look, clearly got the physical gifts, just a, a mountain of a man. He did play a little bit of tackle in preseason as well, which I think is interesting where they can kind of use him in that role if need. I mean, I wouldn't like to see him go up against the <laughs> likes of TJ Watt and Miles Garrett but and Trey Hendrickson. But look, if it has to happen, you know, I think that at least he's serviceable there. What this opens up, I think, is... You have two solidified backups at guard. You have Salah backing up Simpson uh, at the left guard position. And then you have Ben Cleveland backing up Kevin Zeitler, but then also being a backup for the left guard position as well. So you have you have kind of a, a hybrid of like three solid backups there to kind of rotate in and out. Ben Cleveland taking up both spots there, right and left, if needed. Um, Daniel Falele, I think, is, is good too, that he has done enough to prove that he can kind of be your swing tackle. Like this is the thing that I think, you know... I, even me, who loves watching the offense and defensive lines, you fail to realize that those guys rotate like within drives. It's not, it's not a lot, but it's not just the starting five, starting five, marching down the field every single play. Like these swing tackle types, these backup guards, they're going to get a chance to to play a couple downs here to to let the big guys catch their breath, especially on long drives and what have you. Falele proved enough that he is the solidified, bona fide backup um, left tackle, as it were. Um, the or backup swing tackle, excuse me. So we could play left and right, sub in for Morgan Moses and Ronnie Stanley when needed and fill in if needed, which I think is good to see for a guy that we think has all the talent there, which allows Patrick McCarry, if you look at the the graphic that the Ravens put out inexplicably um, the, the, way after the, the rosters <laughs> were supposed to be announced, McCarry um, is just listed as OL when everybody else has guard tackle around them. He is obviously another swing tackle guy. We've seen that. He can fill in at guard, but now he is also the bona fide backup center if Tyler Linderbaum gets hurt, um, which, you know, Makari's a good player, but the last time we saw him at center, he couldn't snap a ball. So that is a little bit concerning, but still the talent is there. So, yeah, overall, I mean, the Cleveland one was shocking, but I'm not, like, upset by it. Upset by it, excuse me, by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a, I think it's a relatively strong unit that, that has had questions in the past. Yeah, it seems like his kind of versatility sort of won out over a guy like Sam Mustafer, who was mostly played center, uh, who they had brought in from the Bears. Um, so I'm a little surprised he made the team just because we talked about, but uh, things we talked about in prior preseason games. But, you know, I think the people who know things did say he looked mostly good, aside from just that that very bad opening against Jalen Carter uh, <laughs> this preseason. But uh, And I wonder with, with, you know, obviously Simpson wins the starting job, but I can't imagine uh, he, he is on an incredibly, like, long leash sort of deal. I feel like if he struggles, they won't, won't hesitate to try Salah and... If he struggles, maybe Cleveland gets in there. So, um, you know, it kind of seemed like in some ways Simpson's just sort of 
kind of ended up getting the starting job by default because he certainly has never been a spectacular player in his career, and I kind of doubt that the light bulb suddenly went off for him, but we'll see. Maybe the coaching will better scheme or something like that will will, will help him a lot. But yeah, the the Cleveland thing I think is probably the most surprising uh, of this group, but you know, I mean, they, they took nine offensive linemen, right? They've taken even more in the past. So I, I don't think anything too, too surprising outside of Cleveland here. Obviously, a guy like David Sharp was kicking around the practice squad last year. Probably will again this year. I'm imagining he's a guy he might see show up on a on a, on a game day once or twice or on some inactive lists uh, as needed. So, um, yeah, I, nothing too shocking. Uh, but other than I think that Cleveland selection. Yeah, the David Sharp name, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, he only played three games for the Ravens last season, or actually it was two seasons ago now. It was 2021. Um, thought he played pretty well. when he, like, You know, you see a name you've never heard, and, oh, he's playing on the offensive line, and you expect it to be a disaster. And I thought he actually held up pretty well um, and might have been able to, to grab one of those last spots. The, the Mustafer thing is odd to me. Started 40 games over the last three seasons. He is an entrenched starter in the NFL and could not hang on to one of the 10, you know, a, a top 10, top 9 uh, offensive line spots spot on this team. When every time I see Ben Cleveland, he seems like he's just getting just beat by faster, <laughs> more athletic players. He has the size. Tim, you mentioned the physical tools. He has the size. I don't know if he has... The quickness, the lateral stuff, the foot speed, all those things, he's just he's just big. He's just like a rock. So it's even more terrifying to put him at tackle where you you need a little bit more a little bit more quickness uh, with the hands, with the feet. Um, but I, I guess they see something. They see something in practice, I, I guess, because it hasn't really shown up too much in, uh, in preseason games or uh, spot action in, in the regular season. But uh, let's turn... To the defense, uh, starting with to the defensive line: Broderick Washington, Michael Pierce, Justin Metabuke, Travis Jones. Four guys, four names, and I think they could all start. <laughs> I think this is a very <laughs> solid group. Um, we kind of knew these were the four too. Maybe a, a, a guy like Nichols was was scratching and clawing for a spot, but. Um, Thoughts on on this position group uh, and the p- the potential of this position group as a whole. Great unit, young unit too. Outside of Michael Pierce, um, Broderick Washington, Justin Matabuke, and Travis Jones as a three. If they all reach their potential, obviously Washington taking a massive step last year and getting getting paid for it as well with the extension. Matabuke, you hope is the next guy, but could also be a prime candidate for a stud stud year, and then and then gets paid in free agency, that type of person um, as well. But I, you know, I've been he was the guy I pointed out last year, and he was pretty good. You know, I don't think he was a superstar by any stretch, but he was a very solid starter for the Ravens defense and an impact player. And Travis Jones could be that dude this year. I mean, everybody was raving when the Ravens got him in like the third round last year. And he has showed it. He is mean, he is physical, and he overpowers dudes that nose tackle position. You rotate him and Michael Pearson, you get those all four guys on heavy packages with like a Tyus Bowser and a Jadavion Clowney when fully healthy. Like 
stacking six on the line in a big front and goal line situations, what have you. Uh, I, I love this unit. It might it it's arguably the strongest unit that the Ravens have is this interior defensive line. And one other guy who I think ninety nine point nine percent chance will be part of this is Brent Urban. He uh, yes. he didn't make Thank the you. initial fifty three, but after some roster shenanigans and moving people around, he will end up here. He they did the same. Th- I believe he they did the exact same thing with him last year. So he'll be part of that too, trying to knock down passes and do Brent Urban things. Yeah, I should just say too. It should be noted as well. Cal- Calais Campbell left this unit. This was a unit that we were worried about when Calais Campbell left in free agency. Now, I think the big thing that most people were worried about was the pass rush that Campbell gave you, uh, which, you know, still definitely a concern (laughs) there. But when you take out a veteran, a solid player, a potential Hall of Famer um, in in that unit, and you look at it, you're still really satisfied with, like Jay said, Brent Urban, 90%, 95% chance that he's back on this opening day roster. Yeah, a lot to be excited about on the defensive line. I look forward to Urban blocking a field goal once at some yes. point, uh, during this regular season. Against Cade York and the Cleveland Browns. All right, let's get to uh, the linebackers. The inside, the outside. Some good, some less good. Uh, <laughs> Odafe Owe, David Ajabo, Jadavian Clowney, Tavius Robinson, Malik Ham. Those are your guys on the outside. And on the inside, uh, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, Trenton Simpson, and Delshawn Phillips. There's some talent, there's some pedigree, there are some question marks, and there are some guys we need to take a leap, dare I say. Not a step, but a leap. Uh, Overall impressions and thoughts with this final position group. Uh, I should just say real quickly, Kate York got cut because he stinks. Uh, They drafted him. They drafted him. I just looked it up. They drafted him in like the early round for a kicker uh, in 2022, and he's already been cut. So good job, Browns. Nailing it again. I'm not going to do the Oway Ajabo thing. We've done it. They have to step up. You know, Jadavion Clowney has to be – I think Jadavion Clowney has to be solid. He's not going to be the name Jadavion Clowney. He just needs to be solid for this team. And and we all know that. Um, You know, Trenton Simpson – has struggled a little bit as kind of the guy who's supposed to be a, you know, if it all goes well, is probably going to be the starter next to Roquan next year with Patrick Queen probably leaving unless they can bring him back on some sort of discount. Phillips, special teams player. Um, Tavius Robinson, you know, young player that I think they looks good in the uniform, I'll tell you that, from preseason. And so you kind of hope that he fills out definitely a raw pass rusher there. But Malik Ham, the other undrafted free agent that made this team. Just very cool story. Uh, 2022 Patriot League Defensive Player of the Year for Lafayette College. He's a Baltimore <coughs> native as well, which is always cool. You always love that, um, even if it, you know, you have a little extra bias for the guys that are local boys. Grew up watching the Ray Lewises and the Ed Reeds with you. Um, but Ham, probably Ham as well as Mitchell. I know Jeff Zarebeck has pointed this out. Two candidates to start on IR to fill up some or to get some of those roster spaces um, for other players. But just a cool story there. And the Ravens love finding these diamonds in the rough and who knows i mean i know judon was a drafted player but judon was another guy that was not highly touted i believe a fifth round pick and kind of for all the stick we gave him came on as a a good pass rusher in his own right maybe maybe ham is kind of another one of those guys but you know we'll have to see just a cool story for the baltimore kid yeah uh it was cool to see him make the team and uh delshawn phillips i had another you know Probably play a lot of special teams, I'm sure. It kind of feels like it came down between him and Christian Welch, and they just sort of went with Phillips because he, believe he, you know, plays marginally more defense than Welch uh, has the last season or two. Uh, 
The one thing I will say, I mean, this is not a new observation, but, you know, just because you haven't seen them in the preseason, you can, like, can sort of forget. Like, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, arguably, like, the top inside linebacker duo in the NFL. Certainly up there. And uh, that's going to be exciting to watch. And I'm sure they're going to, you know, Queen, I believe, was second on the team in sacks last year for this Ravens team. And uh, especially with, uh, I I don't know if we mentioned or mentioned in passing, a guy like Tyus Bowser, uh, who is uh, going to miss the first four games guaranteed of the season because he was put on, uh, what's it called, the pup list or whatever they're calling it now. It feels like the name always changes, but uh, um, he he won't be around the the first four weeks guaranteed. So, um, yeah, so no Tyus Bowser, so they're going to... As we kind of talked about, guys need to step up, and uh, if Patrick Queen could be a guy who gets some sacks for him, that would that would be great. That would uh, just run around, flying around, getting sacks, doing whatever. That would be great uh, because they certainly Heat seeking missile with Roquan doing everything else. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roquan will do the hitting and the wrapping of the open field guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, that just boy with that Tyus Bowser news just feels like there's two paths uh in the first month of this season where oh look uh Owe and Ojabo are doing stuff and Jadavian Clowney is healthy and doing stuff or it's oh my gosh Tyus Bowser get him in the starting lineup immediately as soon as he's off that list even though he's probably not going to be like full you know fully ready to go even after a month yeah there's a chance there's an outside chance much like last year when they were in a very similar scenario where they were relying on Oh, way, way more than they probably should have. That you're placing calls to to JPP midseason to just bring some guys in. <laughs> okay, the final group uh, outside of outside of the special teams uh, trifecta. But let's look at the secondary, where um, again, <laughs> some good, some bad, but uh, I think something positive to t- to take away from this, and I'm going to say it right off the top: Marlon Humphrey. On the 53, which means not going to the pup list, not assumed to miss four games, so maybe he just misses one or two. So, anyway, Marlon Humphrey, Rocky Asin, uh, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, those are your starters. And then the backups are Arthur, Millette, Jalen Armour, Davis, uh, Ronald Darby, Demarion Williams, Brandon Stevens. And then the two backup safeties, Geno Stone and Ardarius Washington. Some surprises here uh, as well in terms of who stuck and who didn't. Um, And then curious as to your guys' thoughts on the final group. We've been talking about it throughout the the preseason, but um, looking at the final group now with who did make the team. And I think a a little bit of a silver lining with Marlon Humphrey, seemingly not expected to miss uh significant weeks yeah that's definitely good news uh the thing that jumped out to 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 me here antonio was just caillou kelly did not make this team uh on the 53-man roster uh raven's fifth round pick not something they do a lot cutting draft picks and you know uh i i think it says something that uh because you know we kind of mentioned they stick by their guys and you know, Jalen Armour Davis and Pepe Williams, both guys who haven't proven all that much in their first season of the NFL, they still make the team, uh, and Caillou Kelly does not. So I clearly they were not impressed with something kind of rem- reminiscent of 
Um, Sean Wade, a uh, defensive back out of uh, Ohio State a few years ago who the Ravens drafted, and he didn't make the team. I believe they traded him to New England before the, the season even started. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. That was that kind of jumped out to me, uh, especially, much, you know, he's a fifth-round pick, not even a sixth- or seventh-round pick, and, and he didn't make the squad. And it certainly seems like they prioritized veterans like Arthur Millette and, you know, Ronald Darby, guys they recently brought in. But, you know, maybe not quite the ceiling, but certainly, I don't know, can figure out scheme, just our experienced NFL players, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and that they brought them in and let let him go. So that's, I think, the biggest sort of thing uh, that jumped out to me was just that prioritizing experience over uh, a young player like Kelly. I just feel bad for uh, one of our loyal listeners, Frankie Kelly, who, if you don't know the story from a few weeks ago, ended up getting, I believe he got it uh, the for his wife, who the whole family were Browns fans. He is ready to convert her because the, the man he is. Um, and they, they saw the Kai Blue Kelly. They got married in 2017. They got 17. He picked 17. It, it all falls into place, except for the fact that John Harbaugh ruins dreams. Um, so I, I feel bad for Frankie. But no, for, for Kai Blue Kelly, I think he didn't, he didn't do enough on the field in preseason, which I think is a, an issue. Um, you know, Antonio was in our text group saying this guy can't cover anybody, and, and I think it showed – Jace puts out the point there, too, that slot corner, especially with Marlon Humphrey missing the start of the season, is going to be a big issue. You know, Ardarius Washington, who has been one of the winners, I think, of preseason, might be slated to start there at slot corner with Millette kind of being the backup guy. Millette is a slot corner. That is what he plays. And I think that they really wanted depth on that inside with a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who used to play that role, having to play more of a traditional safety role because of Chuck Clark's absence. So I think... It's unfortunate. You hope that maybe they can find room for him on the practice squad or something like that. But, you know, I I do credit the Ravens for, you know, they've, they did this with Sean Wade in the past a couple of years ago, too. Another fifth-round defensive back out of Ohio State that preseason, they traded him to the Patriots. Or they either cut him and the Patriots quickly picked yeah, him up, something like that. I can't remember what they did with him. But they got rid of him before seeing him in a regular season game because they said... <laughs> You know, we made a mistake on this. The evaluation did not turn out how we thought. And, you know, we're going to give it to somebody else who's more proven. I I give them credit for that because sometimes you you don't want to stick too close to your guns uh, and kind of and hold on for too long when these roster spots are very valuable. Um, And and then just quickly, too, I just want to emphasize Antonio's point. I didn't think of it. It's a a really good point. Uh, Marlon Humphrey's coming back before the fourth week. Like, there's no way that, unless they're trying to do competitive advantage and, you know, say that maybe, who knows, and he's not back till week seven, which could also certainly be the case with John Harbaugh and this Ravens staff, (laughs) I think signs point towards him, you know, playing earlier than maybe we think, maybe week three or week four or something like that, which would be, you know, he is arguably the second most important player on this Ravens team. So to get him out there sooner rather than later would be a bonus. Can we get him week two against the Cincinnati Bengals? We'll see. We'll see. That would be great. That would uh, be great. Uh, and then the final three guys, I, you know, it's it's a given, but they deserve they deserve mention as well. It's the special teamers. It's the long slapper, long snapper, Tyler. Long Ott. slapper. <laughs> we'll see what he does this season. Uh, we haven't seen much much from him, but Tyler Ott as the long snapper, Justin Tucker and Jordan Stout as your kicker and punter. Um, they're good. All I want to see from Ott is 
clean snaps. Uh, Jordan Stout has actually looked better in the preseason. Like, he's actually sort of shown out uh, in the preseason, so we hope that continues. And then Justin Tucker hit the easiest 60-yard field goal I've ever <laughs> seen in my life in a preseason game. So will he break the break his own record this season? Uh, guys, the final you know thoughts on that trio and then just the final overview of, of this roster. I looked at it, and I felt pretty good in the end. I was more skeptical uh, before, for some reason, when it was the bigger group and I was watching preseason games. Once it got condensed down to 53, I got pretty jacked up. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, final thoughts on this roster as a whole. I'll just go quickly on the special teams, too. Um, you know, good for for Tyler Ott because Nick Moore was injured and Tyler Ott had to come in and he's, you know, they haven't missed a beat. And there's a big, there's a massive year for Jordan Stout. If, if he does not produce that the level that they want a fourth round pick at punter to produce... <laughs> There's going to be a, a change there. There simply has to be, especially for a team that is so special teams heavy. And just quickly on the full roster, Antonio, look, I'm with you. You know, I, I, we'll get to, we'll get to it. And early spoiler, I'm a bit nervous about the Ravens over under, but I I look at this roster and the secondary still scares me. It still scares me. But when I think that you know by week, let's call it three, you've got Rakiasin. Darius Washington slash Arthur Mallett, Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams is kind of the five main guys, six main guys, what have you, at the two slot corners. On paper, that doesn't look too bad to me. Um, you know, I think the secondary is still a major issue that injuries could easily completely derail. But I look at every other unit there. I mean, outside of quarterback, which is an obvious one, but every other unit there looks strong even with an injury or two. So as long as it's not the injury luck of the last two seasons, the Ravens might have something cooking here. Yeah, I, I kind of just echo all of Tim's points. The only other just two names I think probably worth mentioning in passing you might see show back up again is uh, Kevon Seymour and Daryl Worley, like two guys who have kind of come through <laughs> a few times. Not that, you know, if you see a lot of them, things are probably not going great for the Ravens if they end up back on the team and in prominent positions <laughs> on this defense that's probably not the best news but uh th they were two guys you know cut and uh likely could end up back on the practice squad um yeah i i'm i'm excited I, you know i think i think the offense has a I, obviously it, it remains to be seen kind of what it looks like because we we you know you get such a vanilla version and with none of the real starters it's hard to kind of say what the offense will look like but uh, the offense at least has the pieces to be exciting. Um, I have defensive concerns, but like I said, there's there's high points, especially at that inside linebacker position, and I like the defensive line. Um, but yeah, yeah, can they cover? And then can they rush as a passer? Two, two not insignificant things, I think, will certainly determine the fate of that side of the ball. They might have to win a lot of shootouts, this year and if Lamar Jackson stays healthy I think they can I think he has become weirdly underrated as a player and uh just because of his injuries the last two years people like I think discount how much he just wins and how good he is <laughs> and the fact that he like is always on pace to throw for 30 touchdowns if he stays healthy and then it gets hurt but uh um, yeah, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. I'm, you know, I think I could sort of speak for all of us 
I don't know how excited we all were last year with Lamar's contract and just the lingering 2021 injuries dragging into the 2022 season. It was not an exciting season for me. I'm very excited for this season, though, uh, and I don't know how great the Ravens will be. We'll get into that momentarily, but it should be a lot of fun. Okay, let's turn now to our trivia game, which a few weeks ago I was able to steal some points, and I'm somehow huh, full-on brag here, tied with Jace Evans uh, with nine points through nine rounds, unable to score any points this week as I am up naming a player uh, and a box score. So let me go through the clues for you too. Uh, I only wrote four clues down, by the way, um, because if we have to get to five, I'm just shutting it down. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully you guys can get this okay, good. Uh, on the earlier side uh, and get some points also. All right, so clue number one. This player, a Raven from 2013 to 2015, had his career game in this matchup versus an NFC North opponent. I mean, just go right there. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, I'm curious as to where you're at. Um, there, there's a name, but I, it could be completely wrong. There's a name. I mean. I'm struggling, so I'll need some more clues. But the problem with having a name this early is that I just know, like, that's, I'm not going to be able to get off said name, and it's definitely going to be wrong. Clue number two. This game had 42 points scored in the fourth quarter. I'm afraid to I'm make... I'm hearing crickets. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing crickets. I have a guess, but I'm afraid. You know what? I'm oh, just gonna... Okay, all right, all right. Oh. You, go, you go, you go, you go. I was about to jump in. You go, you go, you I, go. You I'm going to throw it out, I, 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 and it's a personal favorite of mine, so if it's not right, I'm going to go down with the ship. Before you answer, Antonio, I just, I'm going to just – obviously, Jace will get the points if he's correct, but I want to just – you know, second it if he has the same name I have, and I'm gonna kick. I won't. Myself. I won't say anything. Yeah, I won't say anything until we get a, a yay or nay from Tim. So, Jace, who do you who do you have? My guess is that this is our good friend Marlon Brown uh, catches the winning touchdown against the Vikings uh, in that game. I can't recall what he did the rest of the game, so that's what gives me pause. But I'm following my heart. I'm going with Marlon Brown. See. Yeah, I and I had Marlon Brown was the name that I had after the first clue, and I'm so annoyed that this game is so risk reward. Where I, I would just love to throw out guesses, but then you can't because you'll be eliminated, and Jace will steal all the points like usual. So I waited and I waited just a half second too long, and then I was thinking there was another receiver. Did we have another receiver that went to Maryland that was kind of in that Marlon Brown like level? I don't remember. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong and overthinking that, and that's why I hesitated afterwards. But yeah, Marlon Brown was the name I had, and I, and Jace is going to get the points here. I'm so annoyed. Tim, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained, uh, and I don't think that's the actual expression. But it is Marlon ah! Brown, uh, and Tim, the other receiver that you're thinking of is Laquan Williams, who is also uh, also a terp. That is who I'm um, thinking of. Yes. Yes. Somewhat similar careers but marlon brown had a career game against the minnesota vikings in the snow at m t bank the next clue i was going to give was that this receiver finished with seven catches 92 yards and the game-winning touchdown with nine seconds remaining yep um yep. 
Yeah, and that was his career high. Would end up being his career high in catches and yards. Wow. <laughs> and then also had the you know added added the touchdown uh, in there as well. So uh, a legendary game and box score from uh, Marlon Brown. Incredible game, one of the greats in franchise history. <laughs> uh, had a lot of Toby Gerhardt, which there's a name to think about uh, for the Vikings. Uh, don't know what he's doing these days, but um, okay. So Jace. Or, yeah, Jace got that on the after two. So is that was that four points That's for Jace T. Wow, yeah. wow, and he immediately pulls away. Thirteen <laughs> points now for Jace. Uh, I have nine, and Tim has five. So let's turn now to the Ravens in the AFC North. We're gonna look at over unders for the Ravens. We're also gonna offer up some of our other favorite over unders before we look at the division uh, as a whole and see and kind of figure out what the order is going to be in this division what roadblocks are going to be there for the Ravens so let's start with first of all the over under for Baltimore uh, currently listed at 10.5 just a nice terrifying number the same number that they had last year uh, and I know that is the same number that they had last year because I was on this podcast confidently saying to hammer that over because as long as Lamar Jackson played in 17 games, there was a 0% chance that they wouldn't hit 11 wins. Well, he did not play 17 games, uh, and they did not hit 11 wins. They ended up one short in one of the more painful um, final months I can remember as as a Ravens fan. But uh, I'll go in order here of, of what I see in the notes. Jace, why don't you go first for your pick for the Ravens over-under Ten and a half wins this season. Well, Vegas remains very good at this, Antonio, because I I, I think it comes in right around this number. But I am I'm not, I'm ready to be hurt again because I'm saying the Ravens go over ten and a half. I and I don't think by much. I think that number is eleven, <laughs> probably most likely eleven and six. Um, but I, I do think they go over. Now we'll, we could get into some of my later uh, over unders later because I think. I might be contradicting myself a lot with how I feel like the division order might end up. Some of these numbers might not jive. Um, but I think the Ravens are a good team. I think the secondary problems we've been talking about are still a thing. Um, I think the pass rush is very TBD, <laughs> uh, dependent on some uh, some rook- a rookie like Ajabo taking a jump or showing anything really in the NFL and away having more than three sacks would be nice but um i i'm sort of with what your, your case from last year if lamar jackson plays 17 games this is a man who is 45 and 16 as a starter i think he's been almost weirdly underrated by people nationally at this point and when they play when he plays they win and i think they can win 11 games if lamar plays and that's basically i don't you know you don't want to jinx it and i'm knocking on wood over here but he he just he can't just miss three straight Decembers. It's impossible. It can't happen. So, uh, you know, the contract's all settled, all that, and he's going to stay healthy, and we're going to have a great season, and we're going to have Lamar Jackson playing a January playoff game, and it's going to be great. Tim. Oh. I don't want to flip what I have in the notes, but I'm – I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting the, the itch. It's getting antsy. I'm getting antsy. I look at this schedule and 
in the post draft <coughs> night, Zay Flowers, Lamar signed new deal. I was like, book it, ten and a half, winning the division. This is gonna be great. Everything is kosher. I love Todd Munkin. Everything's great. Since then, we figured out that uh, the secondary is arguably one of the worst secondaries in the National Football League. Maybe not. Maybe not that harsh, but just without Marlon Humphrey. I see two good safeties, and I see a lot of other just dross uh, in that in that system there. Against having to go against the likes of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Amari Cooper, you know, six times a season. I look at the schedule now, and quick math: if the Ravens go three and three in the division, which they need to be better than that, but if they just split everything, I see seven maybe eight like lock it in wins like lock it in wins but i'm gonna take the over because i'm not gonna be the negative nancy on this podcast i think it's 11 i think it's absolutely 11 and 6 there is no way that it's more than that uh i I mean (laughs) it could be but i I just don't see it i can think it's good for anybody that you know responsibly gambles on that on that over under total it's gonna be a sweat till the very end could even come down to the final game of the year, which is a home game against the Steelers. Love that that's home, by the way. That that would almost certainly always be a way uh, for us, it seems like, in a pivotal moment. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitantly, hesitantly, hesitantly taking the over here for all the things Jay said. But the secondary worries me. The left guard position still worries me a bit. And then any injury bug. I mean, this team... For the last two seasons, has had some of the worst injury luck in the NFL. Two years ago, it was like historically bad, the injury luck that the Ravens had. I want to be on the Jace train of like, it just can't happen again, can it? Can it? It's like the Padme meme, if, you don't, if you've seen that one on Twitter. Like, I, I, I could see it happening again just because that's what it is here with this Ravens team. But reluctantly, nervously, behind the couch, through my fingertips, covering my mouth and my face. I am taking the over 10.5 for the Ravens. And, Tim, if I reflect back, we might have been under last year. Oh, I was, eat, I, was, I was absolutely under. I think so I've been the, under every year of this podcast. This right? is a big moment for us. We're both over. <laughs> is that good? Is this bad? No, are, that's, that's are we winning the Super Bowl news. or are that's we jinxing them? News. What's happening? Yeah, yeah it's horrendous news. Um, well, then it's, it's time for me this year to uh to buck the track absolutely not it's over <laughs> 10 and a half wins for the ravens look they went 10 and 7 last season with a banged up tyler huntley not even a good not even a healthy backup quarterback a backup quarterback whose throwing shoulder was injured for multiple games they went 10 and 7 with him starting the last five games of the season I have to believe that they can win one more game this year with a new offensive coordinator and system, better weapons, a healthier offensive line, and a full year removed from, what was it, eight guys who were coming off major injuries and there were all these question marks about whether or not they were going to start the season or whether they were going to be on the PUP list to start or what the heck was going to happen with Stanley. We opened last year with the wide receiver room having James Prochet being a major part of the offensive system with Devin Duvernay being like a guy that we needed to have 800 yards receiving for this to be a good team. is not the same unit. Yes, the cornerbacks are a problem. Other rooms have gotten much better. 
think the offensive line is going to be a strength of this team. The defensive line is going to be a strength of this team. Those are good starting points when you talk about a winning football team. I can see the ESPN segments just, you know, eight weeks into the season. Well, this team really, they do really well at the line of scrimmage, uh, and that's what helps them win football games. And then they have Lamar Jackson, which is the final thing that I'm going to bring up, because I'll say it again. If he plays 17 games, they're winning more than 10. It has to happen, Jace. It It can't keep happening over and over and over again. He's got that nice contract. He put all, you know, he put a nice five million this year into taking care of his body and getting some extra trainers and some yogis to help him with his, uh, you know, flexibility and yeah, things like that. So that he He's been working no. out with the total gym, the complete gym. Well, I forget oh what God. his gym the system is. Total gym. <laughs> let me ask. Let me just cut in and ask you both a question. Seeing as as you've both brought up the Lamar point, which I think is, you know, fair. Let's be realistic. He ain't playing 17 games, okay? <laughs> I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I was a little bit positive. Now I'm going to drag you back to reality. Jace, I'll start with you. If Lamar plays 14 games, do they still win 11 or over 10? <laughs> uh, I guess it very much depends on when he's missing these games. Cause... Fair enough. But no, I guess not. Like that's, it seems like too. It still feels like he's gonna have to play all of them because the schedule's not easy. I won't say by any stretch. They, you know, no. they they have some 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 some, some tough matchups. It's NFC West this year. Um, you know, it, it, they're out of conference. They got like Detroit, who's supposed to be good, playing Jacksonville, um, and the NFC, the AFC South as a whole, um, and like. Yeah, maybe if he misses the very beginning of the season, you have Houston and Indianapolis, two of the worst teams in the AFC on paper to start the year. But he's healthy now, and where he hasn't been healthy is, you know, you look at lines up after that by Ravens, you know, by weeks, first week of December. That's when Lamar's gotten hurt pretty much each of the last two years. So, And then yeah. let me jump in. December schedule. Rams, eh, but then Jaguars, Niners, Dolphins, Steelers. Yeah. Those are your December games. And, yeah, and I know we've talked about how Lamar, like, his play gets worse as the weather gets colder. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I just have to say, yeah, if he misses that, if he's only playing 14, I, I think I think you just have to go under because we've shown, you know, the last few years when he's not here, they cannot score. And it's a new system. It's a new day. Todd Munkin, maybe things change in that regard. As we said, like wide receiver one isn't Demarcus Robinson this year. That's a big plus uh, compared to where we were just last season. Um, but that being said, yeah, I still think obviously Lamar's the straw that stirs the drink. He's got to be there. Well, you guys are getting this all all wrong. Uh, first of all, if he plays fourteen games, Tim, he's probably ten and four. Uh, which means that in those other three games, the guy's going to win one of them, and you cover this. But it's not the December games this year. I've, I've been saying it for months. They play the Titans in London in October, and he will eat some bad fish and chips and have some issue, uh, and he's going to miss the Detroit game, and it's a home game against yeah. the Lions, uh, and they can win that game without him, which they will. If he has something else happen, maybe he gets stuck in England because of passport issues and he's there for two weeks. The game after that is at Arizona, maybe the worst team in the NFL. So there's two nice soft games right after that London game where he will have some sort of health issue or malady come up. 
Uh, and they can win both of those games. So yes, with 14 games guaranteed, I'd almost take 14 games guaranteed at this point, to be quite I, honest. I, I'm close to that, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would still go I would still go over. Uh, if you went under that number of, of games started, then I'm going to start to get start to get a little, a little bit nervous. Um, let's go elsewhere. Jason, start with you. What other uh, over-unders do you like this year? Well, this pains me every year, uh, but every year I say it, and every year it generally gets proven true. Um, Pittsburgh Steelers over at 8.5. I think the Steelers are going to be good this year. Um, they strangely, you know, to be uh, what I would still say is probably our biggest rival, at least in my heart, but I guess in the past few years, kind of eclipsed by the Bengals in terms of the player-on-player -player hatred, it seems like, certainly, and, and that kind of thing, and just the fan bases annoying each other. I feel like the Bengals have kind of eclipsed the Steelers for me, at least in that regard. But the Steelers are still an A-plus organization, and if Kenny Pickett is any good, I think this team's really good. I think they had a good draft, which, you know, I have to see how it plays out, but... They, Would you say they crushed their draft? <laughs> Would you say that? I mean, they. I'll say they addressed all the problem areas they seem to have via draft picks. <laughs> now, if those players can play, that's where we have to wait and see. But, uh, um, yeah, I just think the Steelers are going to be really good. And they haven't won a playoff game since, like, 2016. Um, they haven't... Uh, you know, it's weird. They're in a weird place uh, where as much as we complain about our playoff success with the Ravens, the Steelers have actually gone longer since, since they last won a playoff game. They last won one in the 2016 season. Um, but it kind of feels like they're due a little bit to me. And if Pickett's good, which he looked decent towards the end of last season, um, I think the Steelers are just going to be really good. And it's Mike Tomlin. He famously has never had a losing record still. He managed to drag them from, what, 3-7 and seven or whatever they were last year to a, to a winning record somehow. Um, so, yeah, Steelers over an 8.5. And now where it gets complicated for me is where does that mean they end in the division if I think they're going to be good and I still think the Bengals are going to be pretty good and the Browns have a decent roster. Can the Ravens really go over 10.5? Let's not think too much about it. <laughs> We're just living life. and uh, Yeah, but Steelers, I think, uh, they're always – I feel like I pick Steelers over every year, and it rarely uh, seems to fail. <laughs> I'll just jump in real quickly on that, Jace, before you go to some other ones that you like because I, I also have the Steelers there too. Uh, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. D done. You know, Seven, they figured – 17 years, right? There's, yeah. He's like, like 15, 16, 17 seasons now. No losing seasons. It's remarkable. Never had a losing season with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I Look, I think they're going to be good too. I think that they're getting a lot of a lot of camp hype, which I don't know how that translates compared to, you know, how other teams, how that's worked in the past where it's like, oh, the, the team you got to look out for and how that's really translated, but you know, Kenny Pickett seems to have improved a lot. George Pickens is a is a is a beast. Um, the one thing I would say about that offense, you know, and the defense is still good. We knew we knew the defense was good. That's whatever. Defense is good. The offense is still run by Matt Canada, who <laughs> every person who follows the Pittsburgh Steelers or wears black and gold and bleeds it and what have you, hated that guy last year because of how simple everything was. So I find it a little bit weird that now they're like, oh man, they're really opening it up against the Atlanta Falcons backups. And now all of a sudden, the, like this, the offense is just going to be this amazing thing. Pat Fryermuth and Najee Harris, and look out for this Jalen Warren, who might be better than Najee Harris and all this stuff. So, I still think they're going to be good. I'm on the over eight and a half, but like 
you know, this is kind of the Greg Roman thing. It's like we we could look at our undefeated preseason streak and how good the offense looked, but then we get to the regular season, it's like, ah, it's still this same coordinator. Get rid of him. And they might have that problem this year. Jace, who else do you like or dislike? Oh, well, <laughs> that's always uh, probably a better question. Um, in terms of teams I dislike, uh, we're going to kind of go a, a sort of double package deal here. And it's teams with bad quarterbacks who, for some reason, uh, Vegas thinks is going to improve a lot. And we're going to start with uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and we're going to go under eight and a half. Uh, Desmond Ritter's just not that good. He hasn't shown anything to this point in regular season or preseason. And the Falcons get hyped as one of these teams where people are like, oh, that roster's good, though. It's like, great, they're only missing the most important piece to your offense. And he's shown no signs he's good. I mean, I will say I'll give Arthur Smith some credit. I think they've what? They've eked out what? I believe it's 7-10 and 10 finishes the last two seasons with, frankly, not great rosters. And they have a good line. They have some other things. The defense is developing. Like, A.J. Terrell, right? He's terrific or has been so far in his career. But I just don't think Desmond Ritter's that good. And I think that's going to hold the Falcons back and expecting a team led by him to win nine games. It just seems a big ask for me. And then I'm higher on this player. Uh, and I'm kind of kind of two-part this because they have the same exact over-under, which is kind of hilarious to me. But the Chicago Bears, I'm going under 7.5. The Green Bay Packers, I'm going over 7.5. Now, obviously the Packers, question mark with Jordan Love. But that's a good team. It's a pretty solid team. They went 8-9. and nine. They barely missed the playoffs last year. Probably should have made the playoffs. They kind of blew it against the Lions right in that final game uh, when Aaron Rodgers clearly didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but I still believe in the Packers' infrastructure. I think Matt LaFleur is a good coach. And then you turn to the Bears... The literal worst team in the NFL last year. The owners of the number one pick that everyone forgets because they traded out of it. This was the worst team in the NFL. They lost. The, they ended the year losing 10 straight games. And I like Justin Fields. I think he's an exciting player. But to think he's just going to lead them to eight wins after they had... They went 4-13, and 13, right? Like, that's a big jump. And I... You know, I like some of the players they signed on defense. They invested in free agency. But it just seems like everyone... They went 3-14. and 14. They didn't even win four games. They were the worst team in the NFL. And uh, to, to think they're going to go from three wins to eight, that just seems a lot to me. And I, I don't trust it. Um, it's a kind of thing just like, am I ever going to really trust the Bears? No, it's why I'm not picking the Lions to win this division either. Uh, it's the, the, There's a hierarchy of the Packers and the Vikings and the NFC North, and I'm sticking with it. So Bears under 7.5, Packers over 7.5. Yeah, I'll just jump in there because I'm I'm on the exact same thing. I also have a a more of a flyer, but Packers to win the NFC North at plus three fifty as well. Uh, over seven and a half is minus one twenty two, and the under seven and a half for the Bears is plus one hundred. There was Justin Fields MVP tickets like being cash or being uh, put in early in this off season, and yeah, I think it was a lot of fantasy hype because fantasy football like really overrates running quarterbacks because of just the scoring systems that most people play by. And I I don't know. It seems odd to me that the guy really couldn't throw the ball and DJ Moore's good, but are are we are we sure that offense is going to be like much improved? I, I'm going to say no. I, I, I think Justin Fields is a good player, but I don't understand, you know, I don't understand this massive leap that people assume the Bears are going to take. 
defense, they they made some good signings, but a lot of it was in the, the middle linebacker position, which, don't get me wrong, I love Roquan Smith, and I love Patrick Queen, and what have you. Uh, Patrick Queen, you know, on the day. Depends. But I don't think they improved in, in areas that they massively needed to on that defense for a defense that was really bad last season. Like, I don't think they improved to the level of jumping that many wins, as Jay said. For the Packers' point of view, I don't know if I'm buying the Jordan Love hype. Like, maybe I am, because I'm, I'm leaning towards that. But I also think that Matt LaFleur is a really good coach. And I think that a lot of the Aaron Rodgers stuff was we kind of have to play in the Aaron Rodgers system and Matt LaFleur has to cater to it. A lot of shotgun, a lot of Aaron Rodgers doing things for Devontae Adams and then when obviously he wasn't there last year, kind of doing what he wanted to in an amalgamation of both of the offensive philosophies. This is going to be full LaFleur who is a McVay guy, and it's going to be under center a lot. Jordan Love is a big quarterback, so he can be under center and kind of see the defense and what have you. And let's not forget, their defense, you know, it has struggled at times, and it was kind of noted that all those first-round picks they had, um, you know, how do they struggle this much? But they still have all those first-round picks. There is a lot of talent on that defensive side of the football. Jair Alexander, one of the best cornerbacks in the National Football League as well. Seven and a half just seems low for a team that, yeah, there's a lot of youth on that offensive side of the ball. But if they can all come together and Jordan Love can manage a game. Jordan Love does not have to be Aaron Rodgers for this total to hit. He has to be a good game manager who doesn't turn the ball over and scores a decent amount of points and lets the defense do its job as well. I think there's a lot of pressure on Matt LaFleur this season, and I think he's going to step up to the plate. I, I really do. I, I like him as a head coach. I like him as an offensive play caller. And I got the Packers over as well. Yeah, it was Rodgers the uh, old-timey grouch on his way out? Or was he the the tent pole that was kind of keeping things up mm-hmm. for, for the last few years? We will find out, I would assume, fairly quickly uh, for that Packers team in the first in the first month as to whether they have uh, a, a new energy uh, and, and gel under Jordan Love or whether or not it's a, we got to tear it down and, and start start all over again. Uh, Tim, who else did you have in your over-unders that you, uh, that you like? Yeah, Jason and I are, are kind of treading over some of the same territory here. Um, I, I will I will mention, I, I do not love this one, but I will mention the Vikings over 8.5. The Vikings won 13 games last year. And yeah, negative point differential. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of luck. And yeah, Kirk Cousins, I know. He's got a Fu Manchu now, did you see? Pretty sweet. Uh, defense with Swiss cheese. I get it. But we're talking five-game regression for a team that really hasn't lost that much and is still playing in this NFC North that we're mentioning. We're like, the the Bears we don't think are very good. The Packers have a chance to be okay, like, you know, eight and nine okay. The Lions, newsflash, are the Lions. I love Dan Campbell. I, I, the offense is very good, but, like, it's hard to get your head around that brand being like the the powerhouse in the NFC North, as Jace kind of mentioned before. So the Vikings eight and a half. The more I talk about it, the more I convince myself that I like it more than this next pick, which is one of the first ones I took. I, I was listening to a podcast and I, I saw this list and I was like, you know what? I'm taking the Saints over nine and a half wins. I think it's I think it's high. I will say that. I think nine and a half is pretty high. For what the Saints are doing right now. I got it at plus 106 when I put the ticket in here. And I don't rate the Falcons. I'm I'm a I'm nervous about the Falcons, but I'm not like scared of the Falcons. I put it that way. 
the Bucks are not good and the Panthers are not good. So I just kind of see the Saints in that division with with the defense that they have and with Derek Carr coming in and 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 Chris Olave I love and then Alvin Kamara coming back after um, after his suspension. I think that's going to be a, a relatively dangerous team in a weak NFC. And then you see the list of quarterbacks that they're going to play. And I'll just read this off quickly. Ryan Tannehill, eh. Bryce Young twice, who knows? Jordan Love, who knows? Baker Mayfield twice. You know my thoughts about him if maybe. you've ever listened to one second <laughs> of twice. this podcast. Yeah, yeah, maybe twice. All right, so him or Kyle Trask, one and one, whatever. Mac Jones, eh. CJ Stroud, who knows? Trevor Lawrence, good. Anthony Richardson, who knows? Justin Fields, we just mentioned. Is he good? He can run the ball, that's great. Kirk Cousins, fine. Desmond Ritter twice, bad. I'm with Chase, bad quarterback. Jared Goff, okay, serviceable. Daniel Jones, was it a one-year wonder? Is he okay? Brian Dable, who knows? Matt Stafford, if he's healthy in late December when they actually play. That is a list of quarterbacks the Saints have with the talent on that roster and the lack of competition in that division and the conference as a whole. I just like them at plus nine and a half. And the only other one I have, because I know it leads into something Jace has, I just have a small, small ticket on, not an over-under, but the Seattle Seahawks to win their division at plus 220. I think the San Francisco 49ers are going to win that division. I do. But for the value there, for the value coming off a Brock Purdy, are we sure he's good? And a very talented roster in the Niners, but a very thin roster in the Niners. The question's about Nick Bosa, who's still holding out uh, for a new contract with the Niners as well. I think the, the Seahawks are the real deal. They, they, they crushed their draft last year, and we know that because they actually have played football games, Bill Simmons. And I think that they have enough talent around that roster. As long as Geno Smith wasn't a one-year wonder and can continue to kind of do the things that he does, Jackson Smith and Jigba coming in in that receiving core that already has Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, a good running back uh, duo in Zach Charbonnet, the rookie out of UCLA, and Kenneth Walker the third, who was – great or pretty good to great in his rookie season i like what the seahawks are and you know it's a value pick i don't think they're gonna win it but i like getting the ticket where i got it at plus 220 for them to maybe surprise and win uh that division um and then just two more for me and well sort of three more but two are sort of a package deal once again uh the only over of the big overs i kind of feel very confident about is bills over ten and a half you know, I know the argument that the AFC East is tough, and the Dolphins, in theory, I think could challenge them. They have a pretty nice roster, but who knows about Tua's health ever? That's going to be a giant question mark every game he plays. And I think, you know, they're, they traded for Jalen Ramsey, and he's immediately hurt until who knows when. So that's not great. And I'm sure Vic Fangio will be good. But still, I think the Bills are a good team. I just don't see a path to them being worse than an 11 and six squad. It just seems unlikely to me uh, the way Josh Allen's been playing the last few years. And, you know, he seems like a prime MVP candidate. I could see several people who are tired of saying Patrick Mahomes is the MVP saying it's Josh's, uh, Josh's year, you know, one of those campaigns, even as Mahomes has another 45 touchdowns and 5,000 yards or whatever, they're going to, they got to give him three MVPs in four years or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just I see the Bills just it seems like eleven and six is like their floor to me so that's kind of why I think that over and then um, we we go to uh, the the unders for what I believe on paper are the two worst teams in the AFC the Indianapolis Colts and the Las Vegas Raiders under six and a half 
I just think these teams are really bad on paper. Um, you know, the Colts are starting a rookie quarterback who is extremely hit and miss. Anthony Richardson in his most recent uh, preseason game went six for 17, I believe. Some some excellent throws, some some questionable throws, some insane athleticism. He's going to be like the ultimate boomer bust guy, which we kind of knew about. And uh, going in as like a project quarterback, and he could be great. But it's going to be a struggle, and it's going to be even a more struggle for the Colts without Jonathan Taylor, who we know for sure is not going to play the first four games of the season at least, and seems like he doesn't want to play for them ever again. And so who knows how that wraps up. I just think the Colts are going to be really bad, and then the Raiders' roster is just tough. Their defense has been awful for years. Their starting quarterback's Jimmy G. The line's not good. It's it's just a lot of holes. So I, I think... Under six and a half for both of those teams. I think they're the two worst teams in the AFC on paper. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you can run through the AFC and you can make a lot of arguments. And maybe that's why you should be betting just more unders in general in the AFC. But you look at rosters, <coughs> like all the rosters and stuff, and you just say, like, yeah, I mean, that's bad. And so that's, for me, those are the two worst teams on paper. So I to say those are some of the safest unders you have. I have two. Uh, two picks that I like outside of the Ravens. Um, and I think my last one is going to tie into a, a lot of the jokes that have been made so far <laughs> about you know crushing the, crushing the draft. Um, but the first one is the Jacksonville football Jaguars at over 10 wins. You can, you can get it at 9.5 in places, but at over 10, you're getting a nice price. It's plus 110 there, so you're kind of making, making some extra money there. They play... The NFC South this year, which Tim just went over pretty well, pretty weak as a division. And then they play in the AFC South, which is another extremely weak division. They are coming off of a five-game winning streak to close out last season. Then they got their, a, a playoff win, which was the first one in a long time for them. Then they had a very close loss to the eventual Super Bowl champs on the road in Kansas City. I think they got a lot of monkeys off their back uh, this past half season, um, and Trevor Lawrence is is ready to roll. They start the season at Indianapolis, you know, pretty comfortable there. Kansas City, Houston, Atlanta, Buffalo, Indianapolis again. Um, I think they're going to start out pretty strong. I think somebody has to win the AFC South, and I think they're going to take it with more than nine wins this season. You're protected a little bit, with the even 10, you might end up pushing this and you're okay and you move on to the next bet. I think they are comfortably going to win 10 games, win the AFC South, and maybe end up squeaking an extra win or two here and going, you know, with 11 wins, 12 wins. Um, and you have a nice price there for the Jaguars at over 10 wins. And then my last one. It is the Patriots under 7.5 wins at minus 105. So not too bad of a price there either. They have to finish last in the AFC East, in my opinion. They are the worst team in the AFC East. They have the worst quarterback in the AFC East. And I just think this team forever gets like a two-win, it used to be like an eight-win bump from having Belichick. I think there's just constantly a two- to three-win bump for this team because of Belichick. I look through their schedule, I see like four guaranteed wins, and you are going to have to convince me to find four other ones to get them to an eight-win team. I'm going to run through the schedule. I'm going to stop at the wins that I see. And you see if there's some other obvious ones there. They start the season against the Eagles. Then Miami. Then at the Jets. 
then at the Cowboys. A very easy 0-4 start. They're going to be dogs in all four of those games. Then they are home against New Orleans. I count that as a win. They're at, at the Las Vegas Raiders. Give, give them two. It's a road game, but I give them two. Then they go Buffalo, Miami, Washington Commanders. Maybe I'll give them that one. Home against the Colts. I'll give them that one. Then they go at the New York Jets. Or excuse me, at the New York Giants. Home to the Chargers. At the Steelers. Home to Kansas City. At Denver. At Buffalo. And home against the Jets. I got four wins in that group. And that was including the New Orleans game. Uh, I did not give them the road game against Denver. That's a primetime game in Denver. I don't think it's a guaranteed win for them. They're going to win eight games to cover this thing. I think they go six and 11 comfortably. Uh, and this is a very nice under seven, seven and a half. I don't care how well they did in the draft this season. Um, I don't see it with Mac Jones leading leading this team. I'm extremely confused by what they've done to their quarterback room. <laughs> He's the last guy in the building, so something is probably happening that by the time this goes live, they'll probably have Tom Brady back as their quarterback or something like that, so this won't look as good. But at the moment, with Mac Jones as the guy, I do not see this team that every week they're going to be in a dogfight, and they are going to be underdogs in the vast majority of the games they play, at least in the first half of the season. I do not see eight wins coming for this team. So I love the Pats under seven and a half wins. Yeah, I think for those of you that don't know the joke, Bill Simmons, who I actually really, really enjoy, and I can't wait for the the, the um, guess the lines that he does with Cousin Sal every Monday, Bill Simmons podcast. You know what it is. It's the probably the first or second most popular sports podcast out there right now. Um he is a Boston person, and he is an absolute Patriots homer, and he tried to defend it by saying, oh, I was out on them last year, and, and now I'm definitely in on them. He thinks that they're, like, winning the AFC East. Um, their defense is good. Their defense is good. But he also repeatedly has said they, quote, crushed their draft. They crushed their draft. You know how many times the Ravens have, quote, crushed their draft, and then a the third-round pick we were all steamed about? Ben Cleveland didn't work out. Like, it's just... It's a, it's a ridic- tradition unlike any other. Yeah, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous thing to me. I think there are some games in there that are winnable, Antonio, from that list that you read out. The Giants one comes to mind. Um, who knows what the Dolphins are? Like, with Tua, all it takes is one injury. So, you know, I think that there's a question there. But I agree with you in terms of, like, guaranteed, guaranteed wins. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see it. Maybe it's still the Belichick thing worries me. Seven and a half. If it's eight and a half, I'm definitely taking it. Seven and a half does worry me a little bit, but yeah. I mean, and also, you take the under and then you just get to root against the Patriots all year. I mean, come on. There's there's some fun in that, too. As if you needed more yeah, motivation. Right. right. Um, Tim, this Patriots team lost to the Bears last season. That is true. In New England. So there's also one of these games that one of those obvious wins... They could just, you know, just lose it. Just some stinker happens, just like they had last season. I don't understand what their quarterback situation is. It's very confusing, but, yeah. They they feel like, they look like, they seem like a seven-win team and maybe even a six-win team. So I'm, I'm going to take that that under seven and a half. Um, all right, let's go now to just a quick uh, overview of the AFC North. We've covered it a little bit with our over-unders, but the current Vegas odds for the four teams – 
They're each one win off of each other. It's Bengals at 11.5, Ravens at 10.5, Browns at 9.5, and, and Steelers at 8.5. I'm pretty comfortable with how this order looks and how these wins look. If I had to write it down today, I think I'd give the Bengals 12 wins. I think I'd give the Ravens 11. But I'd flip the, the last two. I'd probably give the Steelers 9 wins and then the Browns a losing record. Um, I'm going to have to see it. I just need to be proven wrong that Deshaun Watson is just back to being a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback after f four seasons where we haven't really seen it yet. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll eat it if I'm wrong later on this season, but it is always the Browns, and it's, I don't think, the easiest thing to just find it again after what is, had legitimately been three years since we've seen um, a Pro Bowl caliber Deshaun Watson and that was in a different system, different team, different players. Like, who knows? There's too many question marks there. I cannot have the Browns as a winning team, especially when they have to play these other three opponents six games uh, during the regular season. So um, any disagreements with me, guys, or uh, agreements on Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Browns? Yeah, I'm, I'm lockstep with you. I think the, I think the Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens will be scratching and clawing at each other uh, the entire season and the Browns will still be figuring their ass out. Um, you know, if you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, there is a clear bias against the Cleveland Browns, um, that I certainly have. And I don't think any of that is factored into how I feel about them this season, to be completely honest, incredibly talented roster. I I've heard that I've heard it over and over and over again, but Antonio is right. Deshaun Watson is an albatross on this team that could just end up dooming them for years. He could just not be good, everybody. Like, this this could just be it. Guys don't not play for that long and all of a sudden just come back and are the superstars that they are. And you're rely Like, if Deshaun Watson is not good, this team has no chance. They need their quarterback to shine in an AFC North that's really tough and an AFC in general that's very, very tough. And I just, I mean, you nailed it, Antonio. I'm right there with you. I have to see it before I put from a just just a football logic. I have to see it, taking out all my biases and taking out my disdain for the Cleveland Browns in terms of just looking at it analytically. I can't sit here and say the Cleveland Browns are going to be a competitive football team. Until I see it. And also, there's questions about Stefanski. I don't know if Stefanski... Like, yeah, he led them to the playoffs. It Was it year one or maybe year two with Baker? Um, got the win over the Steelers, which was a big moment for them because they're constantly the little brother to Pittsburgh and, and this entire division, to be honest, at this point. But I... I don't... The question... When you have the, the two biggest questions on your team are the quarterback and the head coach, and people like us are saying, I have to see it first, I tend to lean to kind of the under and kind of that they are going to be the bottom dwellers here in this division. Last year with Cleveland in six games, career low completion percentage, career low in yards per attempt, uh, and a second to last, uh, second to worst career interception uh, percentage, interception rate. Sure, I guess he'll just like figure it out and be significantly, I know it was a small sample size last season, but... That's all we have for him as a Cleveland Brown, and that's all we have for him from post-suspension. Um, let's see it. Let's see it first, and then I'll say, okay, great. I didn't – who we could not have known this until it actually happened, but um, got to have him fourth uh, at this point. 
I don't know if I'm just doing hot takes to try to reconcile my Steelers and Ravens overs, but I'm going to say Ravens win the AFC North. The Steelers come in second. Cincinnati Bengals third. Eat some humble pie, Cincy. Cleveland Browns fourth. Uh, do I still think the Bengals are probably actually the best team in this division? Yes. <laughs> More likely than not, they will win this division. But a man can dream. A man can hope. And, you know, they do have some concerns, I think, certainly more so than entering last season. I feel like I'm less sure on Cincy. Like, it just seems to me like this isn't a franchise that will just go from being, like, the worst in the NFL for a 30-year period to in the AFC Championship game every single year. I feel like there's some in-betweens. There's there's room to have a step back. Um, and like I said, I think the Steelers are going to be good or pretty good i don't know maybe that's just a fear in me uh, a fear when the towels come out and all the yinzers get on twitter on their high horse suddenly after not hearing from them for a few years uh but um yeah i don't know i i i think the Bengals have some room to disappoint but i mean as the numbers kind of show i think it's all going to be a dogfight uh between those top three teams the division record is going to really matter and as we've talked about the ravens get all their afc north road games out of the way by like by the first week of october right so uh it would pay to start well so hopefully they do that because that would go a long way to determining a lot of things for this team if they can win the division most chief uh chiefly but i'm and the only thing i'm i think i'm certainly obviously a lock is Everything you guys said about the Browns. And even if we remember back to Watson with his time in Houston, like he had that great season in 2020, made the Pro Bowl, and the team still went 4-12. and So he might just be one of these guys who's like talented but doesn't move the needle all that much. But yeah, I, I just, I need to even see him get close to being that level again before I believe the Browns could win the Super Bowl. And maybe like if he hits that point, they are talented and maybe they can win the division. But he looked really bad. <laughs> That's all we've seen of him in a Cleveland uniform to this point. Jace with a little bit of like a medium level spice uh, with <laughs> yeah. the Bengals at third in the AFC North, but it wouldn't be, you know, maybe they're two games out of first, but they do finish third in the division, especially if Burrow has the, maybe some lingering issues recovering from that, that mus- what is a muscle strain as a calf strain or something like that where he still hasn't sort of come back yeah some sort of um, strain he you know didn't look good when it happened that's for sure you never like your 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 franchise guy starting the year banged up so um maybe it's something that it takes a little while and they have a slow start to the season and can't catch up to the the gauntlet of the afc north but we will see we have weeks and months uh to uh to analyze this and to have some fun hopefully uh, as the season goes along I think that's going to do it for us for this week. We are oh so close to regular season football. Next week, we will be offering up our Texans at Ravens week one preview, plus some other uh, props and maybe some Super Bowl picks from the three of us and see if we can maybe get a Ravens pick out of, out of one of us or all of us. That and much more next week for Jay Evans and Tim Horsey. Thank you. I'm Antonio Barbera. Excuse me. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. As we get into September and near some real football, we will see you next time.
Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.